Well, good evening and good morning, EPL State of Mind listeners. I hope you both and everyone here is ready to get into the EPL State of Mind. You have myself, James, and Sean on the mic this week. Uh, Kyle is currently commuting home, so unfortunately he will not be on here. Uh, so it just got the beautiful voice of Sean and James today, but we're, we're very excited to bring you some more information, especially after an exciting return to the EPL and the match week that we had this past weekend. Uh, a lot of inter- interesting happenings, again, around coaches. Some things we talked about last week that we thought was coming down the pipeline, others that we thought maybe we were going to stick out a little bit further, and some that just straight up surprised us. So we're going to talk about that and much more, especially in this first segment of Hot News. So we're going to get right into it. Um, and something that I think everyone kind of knows if you have or you have not gotten into the English Premier League, but just recently in the past two years, the EPL, the English Premier League, has created a Hall of Fame. So the first inductees went in two seasons ago, uh, and now we have our third rendition of possible inductees. Uh, Each year they do around, I don't know if it's the same every year, but this year they're doing five, and they've already announced two. And they're not players, they're managers. So you have Sir Alex Ferguson of Manchester United, living legend himself. And then you have one of the greatest other coaches in the entire world and one of the best teams in the entire world of Arsene Wenger with Arsenal. So you might know him because I speak very highly of him, but also he is uh, the owner of the only undefeated season in the EPL. So that's the Invincibles. Uh, Both managers are top of the line. Uh, Obviously, Sir Alex Ferguson with record-breaking 13 titles uh, in the Premier League and is just almost nearly impossible to to second-best, really. So two really strong contenders there, getting a great first managerial bid and award into the EPL Hall of Fame. And then the next three, if you haven't checked it out already, I highly recommend going to the English Premier League website because you can check out all the inductees and you can actually vote and decide on the next three. But just to give you a few names that are out there, you have John Terry, Ashley Cole, Gary Neville, uh, Nemaja Vidic, uh, you have Jermaine Defoe, Peter Cech, and Michael Owen, as well as Yaya Torre. So Yaya Torre we spoke about last week, actually, while Kyle was, Kyle was here, so you definitely have heard his name before. All the others, incredible players throughout all of the English Premier League teams, and either or any of them deserve a Hall of Fame, but only you and the the league can decide who goes in. So definitely take it out, ch- check it out. Uh, a lot of, of their stats and facts are on the Instagram account of EPL. So if you don't know of them, give that a con- bonder and, and we can get into it. We'll ask a question later on in the, in the episode of who we feel should be the inductees or should be inducted into the EPL Hall of Fame. So we won't want to spoil that too much. So we're going to keep going over here. So I'm going to bring Sean into the conversation now, and we're going to talk about one of the first of three managerial firings that happened over the past of the past 10 days or so. Uh, we did record our last session on Sunday, and this was after uh, Antonio Conte before the international break had his post-match interview. So we'll talk about that shortly too. But the first one we're going to talk about is uh, Brendan Rodgers, sacked by Leicester City after four years at the club. Now that's a pretty long stint. So take us through a little bit of history of his either overwhelming or underwhelming performance here and ultimately why we think we got the boot here. Yeah, um, he was obviously one of the more successful managers over the last you know couple of years um, in back-to-back fifth-place finishes in 2020, or yeah, 2020 and 2021. 
Um, but at the same time, there was always a little bit of an underwhelming or disappointing aspect of his tenure because they were top four going into the last day in both of those seasons and then kind of bottled it, either with a draw or a loss. Um, but at the same time, he also had a very successful tenure. He won uh, the FA Cup in 2021 with Leicester, which kind of really established them as you know, one of the, the best teams outside of the big six. Obviously, we all know hmm. about the fairy tale championship um, when they won in 2015 or excuse me, 2016. Um, but, you know, he did have a very strong tenure. Unfortunately for him this year, it just hasn't worked. Uh, Vardy he has kind of aged, and he hasn't been able to rely on him as much, and they just, um, you know, they're just not the same team they were a couple of years ago. They've obviously been decimated by the transfer market and, and a couple of injuries as well. Obviously, we've talked about Tielemans, you know, a, a very promising mm. player, very, very strong, important player for them. Um, who's been injured in and out of the lineup this year. And they've had some uh, signings like Patsandaka and Bubakar Samare, who've just not really picked up the slack. Uh, you know, they were big money signings, and they haven't really taken that push forward. Um, so now, you know, we've talked about them a couple times in the last few weeks, just staying up above the re relegation zone. Well, after losing 2-1 to Crystal Palace, um, you know, a team that's also in, in that relegation scrap, Leicester fell into the relegation zone. I believe they're in 19th at the moment. So this was kind of it for, for Rodgers, uh, just not creating enough offensively and also conceding a lot as well. Um, and, and the nail in the coffin for me, I mean, obviously he was going to get sacked regardless, but he said, I don't think we deserve to lose today. Um, when, about the Palace-Leicester result, they were outshot 31-3. to <laughs> You deserve to lose. You deserve to lose, Brendan. I'm so sorry. It's it's so difficult because you're right. They, you know, he didn't have a terrible run in or a tenure at Leicester. And I remember for the past four years or even five years that Leicester was a team that you could not write off. You could not expect to leave their home field or even have them come to you and expect an easy W. Uh, this season, it's almost been the complete opposite. I know that for one because I've stopped betting on Leicester because every time I bet for them based off of what I thought was a great up-and-coming top big, you know, big six team. At one point, there was talk of replacing Arsenal with Leicester, although I think that was more of punnets jokes. But the, there was a strong possibility. I mean, you had a very strong, like you said, Vardy up top. Uh, James Madison, as of late, has been one of the greatest center midfielders the world has seen in the current days. Um, and then I, I, I did want to mention one guy who, who has left the helm since last year, and that's Casper Schmeichel. Uh, which might be part of the reason why you see a lot of the the situation that that they're in right now. But it was not a team to write off. So yeah. I think you, you you hit the nail on the head here. And you know all good things come to an end. And unfortunately for you, Brendan Rogers, we uh, we tip our hat to you on a, a very valiant attempt of bringing them up. I just want to say quickly that's actually a great point about Schmeichel. I didn't even mention him before because a he was a tremendous shot stopper and and you know distributor for or organizer for Leicester, but he's also an excellent leader. Um, so losing mm -hmm. him was a really big loss. I believe he went to Nice in France, and mm -hmm. they've definitely paid for that. Their defense has looked a little bit shaky this year, and they they don't have you know a, a top quality goalkeeper to, to keep some of those keep some of those shots out. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Two of the people that have been linked uh, to the job are Rafa Benitez, former Liverpool, former Chelsea, former Newcastle, and briefly former Everton manager uh, last season. Um, so he's been linked to the job. And then Ange Postacoglu, who's the manager at Celtic, 
Um, those are the two betting favorites to replace him right now. Uh, his assistant, Adam Sadler, not Adam Sandler. I almost had a double take when I read that this morning, uh, is the interim manager. But it'll be interesting to see where they go. Obviously, they need someone who's going to get results immediately because they are in the drop zone as we speak. Absolutely. I think it's a, it's a safe pun to say they need some uncut gems in their future <laughs> to figure out in here. So it might be able to help them out. Let's get some of that going. But <laughs> it definitely is. It's a tall order for them. And just, just, just off the bat here, I mean, you will see how crazy this coach market or this managerial market's going to be because we have three, co- three or four teams right now coachless and obviously someone stepping in an interim but it is going to be a manager's heaven right now to to do some negotiation come in because you have you pretty much have your your choice uh, if you're a, a manager that does not have a position right now and you are of some type of good standing faith in the english Premier league or the soccer world or football world rather you you can have a choice here so it's going to be a pretty intense market for managers which is not something we we often say moving on to the next one that i think is the biggest draw draw, uh, ball drop so far is Graham Potter we were talking about throughout the entirety of our podcast season so far Potter in Potter out trust the process and unfortunately Chelsea is one of the most ruthless uh you know businesses the ruthless uh I guess what we want to call them I guess (laughs) conglomerate of you know managerial mayhem they just go through managers like it's their job now a lot of people who don't know being a manager in, in football is very difficult to do. Your head is almost always on the chopping block if you don't have immediate results. So it's very stressful. And, and the rotation, the revolving door that is a, the job of a manager, it's part of the it's part of the gig. It's almost an expectation. And then if you're not having a positive win result of a season, no one's going to give you a chance. And unfortunately, I think uh, with, with Bowley coming in, and saying that they were going to run things differently after the Russian oligarch stint at the helm. Um, it, not much has changed besides the how much money they have left in their pockets. So we're, we're going to continue and see what we have on that. But a quick little stat here. With 31 games in charge at Chelsea, Graham Potter is leaving with only 12 wins, 11 losses, and 8 draws. Technically still a better ratio. He doesn't have more losses than w- wins and draws. But... For, for a team that just won the Champions League two seasons ago and is constantly in the top four, this is, this is not where you need to be. Uh, they have scored just 33 goals during his tenure, uh, despite adding over $300 million worth of attacking uh, players, such as Joe Felix, who's on a, who's on a loan right now uh, from Atletico, Mikhailo Mudrik, my favorite one to talk about now because mm-hmm. of his hefty fee and, and choosing to go with the Blues. Uh, we have Fofana, Meduke, and not to mention his other signings underneath Thomas Tuchel, Tuchel uh, of Raheem Sterling from Man City and Aubameyang from Arsenal, Barcelona, and now Chelsea. Uh, so they do not have a shortage of, of skill and talent up top. Uh, so obviously he came into a very tall order. I believe Tuchel was sacked in September, so he came in in September. So not a ton of time to have a lot of new faces uh, gel with each other, which is always a difficult task. I mean, if you think about it, he essentially had an entire, he got 16 new players this over the season. It's an entire new rest roster plus five. And this is for a, a coach that had no real uh, notches in his belt other than performing well to Brighton. Uh, so it was a big order. I think this you know, role was a bit too big for his bridges. 
uh, especially having Thomas Tuchel come out uh, in the seasons that he did in the previous. So, I, I, you know, I feel for him a little bit. I don't think he'll be jobless for a little while. I think this is definitely going to hurt a bit of an ego uh, for him. Ultimately, I think Chelsea fans are happy, but now they have nothing to complain about because the owner has spent all his money. He has gotten everyone that you guys want under the sun, and now he has sacked the manager that you guys were calling for the head. So we'll see what it is. Um, you want to talk a little bit about who we're looking to bring in right now or who's running the ship while it's a bit headless? Yeah, so uh, Bruno Saltor, uh, who actually came over from Brighton, he was the captain of Brighton when they were promoted to the Premier League back in 2016. Um, so I, was, I actually noticed on his resume that he was formerly at Valencia. So I had to go to our Valencian expert, Juan, uh, Juan, to see what he said. And he goes, I cannot believe, A, that Bruno Saltor lasted as long as he did in the Premier League, and B, that Bruno Saltor is managing a team the size of Chelsea. He goes, I've never seen a more average footballer in my life. I never would have <laughs> expected that he's managing a team the size of Chelsea. So well, I, hold back a little bit, Sean, uh, <laughs> there, Juan. <laughs> Juan was feeling it. He just said... So it was it was pretty funny, but I think to your point, you you kind of brought it up before. The overspending they brought in too many players. I was mm-hmm. listening to um, an interview on uh, on Tifo uh, on YouTube, and they were saying that when they had inter squad games, they were having two separate games on two fields. So, you know, for a for any manager, that's tough to be able to manage that many people. No one's going to be happy with their game time because you have so many bodies. Uh, but B, it's just hard to get that many new players to gel together. I mean, we saw, we've seen it with Nottingham Forest. You know, they brought in yep. like something ridiculous, twenty signings, maybe more, and they're you know they're in the relegation scrap, and they might have been anyways. You know, if if they had you know kept a little bit more continuity, but it's really difficult to get a bunch of new players who had never played together before with a new manager without a preseason and to get them all to gel together cohesively. It's, it's a really big ask. And I think, you know, the size of the job was a little bit much for him, but Todd Bowley actually didn't do him any favors by overspending. It raised the expectations for the squad. And it also probably made it more difficult for him to understand, Hey, this is my best 11. This is what I can work with. Here's how I'm going to set up my team because there was constant turnover in terms of who was coming through the door. Um, so I think that held them held them back a little bit, but it'll be interesting. Obviously, you have the Champions League coming up in just two weeks, so Bruno Saltair is walking into a, a difficult position for sure. Um, yeah, and, and trying to right the ship. Obviously, Premier League wise, they're they're not going to compete for any any European places. Their only chance of of being in Europe next year is winning the Champions League, which is a tough ask when you're playing you know the defending holders. Yeah, and you're on the same side. I believe they're on the same side as um, Man City and Real Madrid too, right? Yeah, uh, Bayern, Bayern, yeah, Man City, Bayern. Bayern. They're playing yeah. Real. Yep. So yeah, yep. I mean that side is the that side's absolutely loaded. Yeah, I mean you, I just don't see it. And to 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 further your point of just too many signings is part of trusting the process is not by an immediate results. It's you you see what is working, you see what isn't working. And I feel like that's Graham Potter's cup of tea. It's he it, he has a degree in, I believe, sports psychology is, is actually what it is. And it's being able to develop your players as a cohesive unit and, you know, right. understand who gels with who and who doesn't. And, you know, I, I'm always going to go back to an Arsenal reference, but when it was, you know, Arteta in, Arteta out, trust the process, we didn't have... 16 signings in the course of two transfer windows we had probably around 10 signings in the course of four transfer windows five transfer windows you know we brought in you know ben white 
we he was our big signing of 20 what was it now 2019 2020 season you know we had jesus and zinchenko this this summer that's it we didn't bring in massive names we brought in young players to to kind of say hey we're doing these signings but we're gonna see how they progress as they get older these are our main guys here we see the spots that they need to be in it's it's been working that's that's kind of the trust the process that i see and that has not happened here at chelsea uh, so I agree with you that it was a kind of a doomed uh, to start out with scenario, unfortunately, for Graham for Potter. Sure. And and just going off of what you just said, um, I saw a quote that someone was attributing to Arsene Wenger that he said, any more than four signings in a, in a summer can destabilize your team. I mean, Chelsea made like 10 and then made another eight in the winter window. So, yeah, there's there's no stability. There's no consistency. And to your point, I think Graham Potter is much better suited in a situation where he could do a a long-term build, slowly Mm -hmm. figure out, okay, these players work for me, these guys don't, push some guys out and bring in some new blood, as opposed to just a full-term, I mean, they basically did three years of transfer activity in 12 months or or last six months. Yeah, it's crazy. I think I said it two or three episodes ago, like, I don't know where you go from here in a transfer window if you're transfer if if, if you're Chelsea you just, yeah. you just bought everybody you bought no, they actually new put- they actually changed their name to Transfer FC. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. Tesla Transfer FC new sponsor coming your way. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 absolutely absurd. And yeah, you can be happy that these guys spent all this money, but where where did it get you at the end of the day? You're in eleventh. We were talking about that the winner of the Aston Villa Chelsea game would be at the top of the top half of the table, and Chelsea, you are no longer top of the table. You are literally two positions higher than the massive. You're above that massive relegation gap, but that's it. It's like Chelsea, then it's everyone's being relegated. It's right. not like you have, you know, oh okay, a couple teams believe me. You know, have I have some competition? It's literally you're the bottom of the competition this year right now. So it's tough. That's very tough pill to swallow. I won't cry about it because London is forever red, and especially this season. Uh, but I think that's a good segue into the next London error team that we have here, and that is Tottenham Hotspurs and the sacking, the inevitable sacking of Antonio Conte. And I know on Sunday, as we were recording, an hour later, I think a report came out that they had reached a mutual agreement to part ways and that could not be the more biggest bullshit i've ever heard in my entire life that shit <laughs> fucking conte was dragged like a hot pile of rocks bro like the, the, he could not have gotten out faster the only reason why he probably wasn't sacked immediately is because he was away in italy during the international break so right. he they probably let him and and before we get into the the do's and don'ts and the what happened with antonio conte we have to remember that he had a very very difficult year uh personally and team wise he had a difficult year where his two i i I can't remember it was two or one but the the, one of his closest friends and trainer of uh spurs that he brought over with him from his previous team passed away uh mid-season uh he had a it was his liver right it was his liver that he had an issue was it was kidney gallbladder gallbladder Gallbladder. one of those bags inside of us yeah the gallbladder had to be, <laughs> the gallbladder was removed. Um, so he had a very stressful time and he was away from it. He, he came out in an interview. You don't hear about coaches talk about family time a lot, but he came out on several occasions saying, you know, he misses his wife and his, his daughters, 
or daughter. I don't know how many kids he has, but he, he came out saying that he was missing his family. So, you know, not to say, hey, dude, you signed up for this job. This shit happens. But, you know, he had a, he had a tough season. And um, being put in the position that he was in with, with Spurs, that everyone thought he was going to come and do a great job, you know, it takes a lot out of a person. With the personal life and everything like that set aside, I don't think he, I don't think he was wrong saying that Tottenham Hotspur needs a, a switch up here. But I mean, he, he said uh, you you quoted him last week, but he said nothing is going to change. You can change your managers as much as you want, but nothing will change. And he said, I know this. And then he he said, I'm done. And he walked away, and that was the last thing we heard of Antonio Conte. Um, but it but it's crazy, you know. I'll pass it to you again for who's in at the helm temporarily again, and then kind of go into who, we, who we'll see later on who we, who we want to see at, at Spurs. But Sean, man, if you're, if you're a Spurs fan right now, where is your head at? Yeah, it's, it's a difficult place and it didn't get any better today with uh, their draw with Everton off, off a late mm. Michael Keane banger, by the way, one of the best goals of the weekend, I would say him stepping into one in, in the 89th minute to, to equalize but uh, yeah, Christian Stellini, who we we know obviously because of uh, the the time away that that Conte's had, Stellini was the manager for the two legs against uh, Inter Milan and and obviously and the City. Premier League games in right. between. He got that win against City, yep. Which I, I mean, I think you and I could manage against City, and for some reason, somehow Tottenham would find a way to win. They just <laughs> they own City. They can't beat anybody they, they, else, but they own City. No. Nope. Um, but the other thing I just wanted to make mention of is also that their director of football, Fabio Paratici, uh, was forced to step down uh, amid his impending worldwide bed from football. We talked about it probably th- four or five episodes ago. Um, Maybe even sooner. The, this was with Juventus. Is, yeah, this was, I think yeah. this was one of our first episodes. Yeah, it might have been the second or third episode, actually. But he, had to, he has to step away, basically, from football for at least two years, I believe it is. Um, he was part of the, the Juventus board. Um, who basically was fudging transfer fees and doing a lot of shady stuff financially. Um, their entire board resigned, and he was the only guy that was still in football. And uh, I believe effective April 17th is is his ban. So he's stepping down. There's a ton of uncertainty at Spurs right now. And I would just I would just wrap it up with this. I think clearly they cannot go back to or go with the serial winner concept. Mourinho and Conte, you know, were brought in to win trophies. They've won trophies at every other club that they've managed. They did not win at Tottenham. Tottenham needs to go back and and get a manager who's going to come in and, and long-term build, build it from the ground up, command respect, and basically, you know, say this is not acceptable, but at the same time recognize that there's a lot of changes that need to be made. And it's not – there's no short-term fix. There's no quick fixes anymore at, at, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. They need – a long-term rebuild. It's just very clear. I mean, I don't know if there was ever a quick fix to them. If you, if you look at their history, they their last trophy was an was a League Cup win over Chelsea in 2008. And before that, that that trophy over Chelsea ended a 9-year trophyless run. So over the past 23 years, the Spurs have only won one trophy. So not even quick fixes because they're not a club of I've done this quick fix before. They have not had an identity that of a winning mentality. And this is actually what Conte said. He's like, they, they accept mediocrity there because there has been no pressure because they have never won a trophy. So it's okay if they don't win a trophy. It will only be the, the most amazing thing if they win a trophy. And that's just not the, that's not the right attitude. So, Sean, you're 100% right, man. This is, this is you got to burn it all down and build it back up. 
I'm on the boat, and I'll end on this one. I'm on the boat. Sell Kane and build your team, man. If he hasn't won you a trophy yet, he's not going to win you one now. So you can you can take that whole lot of 100 million euros and buy a, a really talented young roster with some of the already young talents that you have on the squad, and you can try to do something with it. But right now, it's not working. Well, the hot news was a bit full of coaches, and I know that Sean and I have no experience in coaching other than FIFA managerial career mode. So I don't know how you'll take our advice here, uh, future coaches out there. But what we can do is we can look back on the weekend and tell you about our takes on the games, and then after that, our takes on the future games. So we're going to pop into a quick break here, and we'll get back into it. If you were in the mood for goals this weekend and you watched soccer on Saturday, you got exactly what you asked for. Saturday's match day was the highest scoring match day in the EPL season thus far. I won't say it right off the bat, but I'm going to say it. I lied. I'm going to say it. Chelsea was the only team not to score in the entire weekend and uh, on Saturday, and it was the highest scoring, scoring match day of the year. I just wanted to say it real quick and we'll get into it. We're not highlighting their loss, their 2 nothing loss at Aston Villa, but we are highlighting a few really, really intense games. One of the favorite ones, I think, and I meant to, I think I mentioned this earlier in the season in the podcast, but I meant to put a post out there this, this past weekend, but we had an exciting, thrilling 3-3 tie, uh, Brentford versus Brighton. And this was for us was the was the game of the weekend, not only because of how close these two up and coming teams are and how you know exciting they have been able to watch and develop over the past two seasons, but because this was the battle of the algorithms. I only say this, and if you haven't done an incredibly deep dive on a Tuesday night at 930 on a YouTube channel about this, you might want to try it, but <laughs> I'm saying it's a battle of the algorithms because the owner of Brighton, uh, Tony Bloom and the owner of Brentford, Matthew Benham, they used to work together at one of Tony Bloom's companies called Premier Bet. Uh, they were close friends. They were both highly educated graduates, uh, Benham from Oxford, uh, but they had a friendship that was completely terminated and they haven't spoken since in 2004 when Benham left Bloom's company, formed his own company named Matchbook Betting, and their whole entire company's basis is off of you know sports betting algorithms. So they, they also have a parenting companies as well. Uh, uh, um, who do we have it? Uh, Bloom's company is a star lizard. They have a algorithm that you know takes in consideration all the facts, stats out there that helps pump out their lines and whatnot for his betting company. And then I believe it's Smart Odds for Benham who uses his own betting company then outside of that. So this is a the game of the season for me just because of these two people hate each other on and off the pitch now. They haven't spoken since 2004. And not only they're so smart that this algorithm works for betting that they are actually the house, they use a very similar system in their recruitment search. And this helps them search through thousands of players, not only on the European continents, but everywhere else throughout the world to start their recruiting process. And you can see it has actually been working for them. So it's become possibly a new era for recruiting. And these two guys are leading the helm with it. And you can tell. So this game was lining up to be 
one of the most intense battles on and off the pitch, and it delivered. So I didn't watch the full game. I did catch up on the 22-minute highlight reel that it is there, which is essentially almost a whole half. So I think I got the gist of it. But I know, uh, Sean, while I was watching the Arsenal game, you were watching this game, and it was fireworks back and forth. Yeah. Um, anyone who's ever told you that they think football is boring, show them this match because this, this match was not boring. This game was mm-hmm. intense, high-pressing, lot of activity, a lot of shots on goal for both sides, chances, big big chances on both ends. Uh, Brighton controlled most of the play, uh, but at the end of the day, you got to give Brentford a lot of credit. They always find ways to take their chances. Um, they're a very mm-hmm. clinical team. They scored their 13th goal off a set piece this season. I highlighted it a couple weeks ago. They lead the, the Premier League in goals off set pieces, um, and they actually were leading 3-2 late in this match despite the fact that uh, Brighton outshot them 15 to five in terms of shots on target and outpossessed them 73 uh, 27. But then a late Alexis McAllister penalty ended up nodding this this game up, and I I think it um, was a deserved draw. Both these teams played great, a lot of fun to watch, um, and like you said, you know the battle of the algorithm also gave it a little bit more intensity. You know most of the times it's usually you know a manager versus manager beef or you know the fan bases hate each other. I don't know how many owner beefs we've had. So this is a kind of a, a fun way to look at it for sure. Um, but the usual suspects for each team kind of dominated this game. You had Ivan Tony score his 17th goal of the season, which in almost any other season where, you know, you don't have a mutant like Holland scoring every <laughs> every game, uh, that would be close yeah. to, you know, to, to winning the golden boot. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously that man Matoma showing up scoring again. And uh, Sully March with an assist. I, I mean, I talk about him a lot because I think yep. in terms of wingers, he's one of the most informed players in the Premier League. Uh, he's been excellent, and he had another assist. Um, but if, if you go back, the same uh, – I know you, you you definitely wrote this note in the sheet. Jason Steele now has as many assists as Mikhailo Mudrik because <laughs> he, he assisted Matoma's goal on a long ball. And then uh, Matoma came in and chipped, chipped the keeper. So – uh, it was yep. pretty cool. It was a really fun game to watch. If if you have you know Peacock, I would definitely recommend going back and watch watching the watch the whole of thing. Game. Yeah, yeah, I, it's, I mean it's the whole thing. It was great. It it had everything. It had a PK, like you said. It, it, the goalie had an assist in here. It had it's something that you guys probably don't know, but if 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 a defender passes a ball back to a goalkeeper and the goalkeeper picks it up, it is an indirect kick at the location of the foul. So there was actually a Brentford free kick inside almost the six. It was right outside it was the, the six. It was just inside the penalty spot, yeah. Yeah, so you, yeah. I think you automatically have to put it behind the penalty spot because you don't have the yardage there. I don't know what, what the technicality of the rule is there, but it had that. Uh, the only thing it didn't have was red cards flying back and forth, and we got two, <laughs> we got two of those today, so you, you, yeah. got your fill, you got your fill in that. But I mean, just super impressive. And this is without um, this was out Ferguson, the young blood up top for for Brighton as well. He took a knock over international break. But I know you're a huge fan of him, and I think everyone needs to keep an eye out. He wasn't out there, and it was an insane game. But uh, keep an eye out. Danny Welbeck, uh, an ex Arsenal player, did very well to, uh, during the game. Put one in. Uh, so it was just an exciting game. So just watch the replay. I know I wanted to watch the whole thing. So highly recommended. Yeah. One game, one game that I know you and I both watched the the full spiel on unfortunately uh was at 7:30 on Saturday morning and that was the the Man City Liverpool game. Man City Ugh. 4, Liverpool 1. 
Do we you know, I woke it? up with, I mean, we can touch on it very briefly just because <laughs> I know your hopes were smashed, my hopes were smashed, but it, was, it wasn't until Liverpool gave us an utmost belief that it was going to happen by, by scoring first by none other than Mo Salah. Um, and I was, I was actually um, uh, Snapchatting one of, my, one of my best college buddies uh, who lives in Pennsylvania right now. He's a big Liverpool fan as well, so you guys would hit it off. And I think two minutes before um, Salah scored, I said, Liverpool's looking really good. They're just missing, missing that final touch there. And I said, give it to Salah. He'll do something in this game, in this, in this beginning half, because he was looking dangerous. And two minutes later, he puts the one away. It, was, it wasn't all Salah. It was a great buildup from the team. And Diego Jota did a fantastic job holding the ball up top, uh, really, really fending off of, I forget who it was, that was, was on his back. It, yeah, it was Ake, who was, yep. who was, you know, a very good defender. Um, held it off and laid it off for Salah. Arguably could have been maybe a, a foul on Jota if he decides to go down inside the penalty box, but they pressed on and, and Salah slots it away with his left foot and he does so well. But uh, it was it was a tough one to wake up at 7.30 and, and, and wash. Uh, you know, I was asking a lot from Liverpool and, and unfortunately, especially being away at the, at the head, uh, it's an even bigger ask. So you, you want to give your little two cents, your little rant here, and then we can we can carry on. Yeah, I mean, I think the first half, City definitely was the better team, but it was relatively even. And then the second half, Pep made his adjustments, and City were just ruthless in this game. Um, the one immediate, one, the one thing I wanted to highlight, which I just thought was kind of an interesting tactical wrinkle, was John Stones in midfield, and he hmm. was he bossed it. He was excellent in this game. His long passing is is you know second to none. I think he's probably one of the best. Uh, center backs in terms of passing in the world. He's he's unbelievable at that, and he was great in midfield in this game, but um, Liverpool's fullbacks really let them down in this game, and I guess you could say they're, they're midfielders as well uh, because Grealish and Mares were just dancing through the, through the mm. back line constantly, um, constant thwarted in the side, and I, I was really disappointed with Andy Robertson. Defensively, he, I mean, he was getting turned inside out like, you know, like no other by Mares, but he also offensively was really, really poor going forward. There was a chance in the first half where uh, he got the ball in the left wing and there was three or four guys in the box waiting for a cross and he just put it right right into Ederson's hands. That was, and I, I, forget, I think it was Lee Dixon was the announcer and he said that's probably the worst cross I've ever seen Andy Robertson have. So, yeah. I mean, I know Trent, it's popular to shit on Trent. I think Andy Robertson was even worse in this game um, and re- really disappointing from him, but uh, just going back to Grealish, obviously he scored in this game, he got an assist as well, but he also saved a goal in the first half where, where Salah yep. looked like he was free off of a off of a corner, and there was a counterattack, and, and Grealish ran the length of the field to track him down and uh, to block it. So, you know, Grealish obviously has gotten a lot of flack for, for the $100 million price tag since he came over from Villa two seasons ago, but he was phenomenal in this game. Uh, really stepped yeah. up, no Foden, no Holland, and it didn't matter because... City's just that good, and he was a big, big reason for the victory. Yeah, I saw I saw an Instagram um, post the other day of uh, I think it was either you know Bleacher Report or ESPN, and it was asked the the, the masses who the biggest flop of the the 2021 2022 to 2023 you know sequence has been, and I saw someone put up Grealish. And, and I would just, you know, whenever we're reading these comments, you know, our blood boils for no apparent reason because it's probably <laughs> some guy in the middle of uh, Bumblefuck uh, Quebec or wherever you want to call it making a comment 
similarly to me, the bumblefuck from uh, born in Ramsey, now works in the city, who, you know, people think doesn't know anything about soccer. But someone said Grealish. And I, I'm not a Man City fan by any means. I know everyone knows that already. But I'm a Jack Grealish fan. And he has been showing this season why he is worth $100,000. You could put Grealish on almost 100 million. any $100 million. What did I say? 100 Thousand? Does he hundred thousand? He's Jesus he's Christ. definitely worth at least a hundred thousand. He's a, no <laughs> yeah per per match per day, <laughs> um, but uh, he he is showing why he was worth that that price tag from Aston Villa, and it is absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, I it, kind of what we were talking about before, and you know, you can tell me I'm wrong or I'm not saying this right or not thinking the right direction here, but I think I am. We were just talking about. Graham Potter and how you have to slowly introduce players into a roster. You have to integrate them into the team. And to no fault of Jack Grealish's own, he, he came in in a position that was already occupied by a champion side Man City. Just because you're worth $100,000 on a Man City team that's worth billions of dollars doesn't mean you're going to get the right away immediately. And Pep, you know, acknowledged that and he integrated him just slowly and he's becoming the, the main man over there on that side especially with Phil Foden and all of his injuries. I think Grillish has done exactly what Pep was expecting to do and be ready when it's your time. And now it's going to be very difficult for, for someone to come and take Grealish's spot. For sure. Um, re- regardless if you're Phil Foden or not. So yeah. when you, when you have a team that's already very solid and you're just adding as you should, those two, those three major signings, even for Man City, it's really only one or two. And, and you integrate into the team, you're keeping the level and the competition at the, at the pace it needs to be. And that's kind of what Pep is very good at doing. He's, you, know, you know, you'll hear that uh, Alvarez up top is unhappy with his playing time, but Pep's not going to care. He's competitive. He's, com- he's competing for a spot against Holland. And if you think that you can just say that you don't like your playing time and then get a spot over Holland, you're, you're smoking the crack pipe. I mean, it's, but- just, it's, it's ridiculous. Just to get, just to give him a shout out though, Alvarez was very good in this game. Oh, stepped in and, and played really well. Dropped deep, link play mm-hmm. a lot more than Holland does, and and then got in behind to score the first. So, shout out to I him. Mean, he played well as well. Yeah, absolutely. They're two different players completely. Sure. Um, in, in, in playing styles, and I think Alvarez will make some other team extremely happy every single game starting, but he can also stay and make City happy as a great number two. And if he stays, I guarantee you, he will win championships he will win champions leagues if the man city ever figures out how to do that and then uh and and carry on but yeah (laughs) i it's tough to 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 fire the big brain but uh you know it's wishful it depends where you want it it is it is for all of us but uh that's unfortunately what happens and and now uh man city are back to just a uh, an eight point gap with a game in hand so we'll see how that lines up. They have a couple tough games on the road, uh, but they have an easier kind of home stretch now with 10 games left. Uh, going to a team that has had a difficult time uh, so far on the home stretch, primarily at away games, it's our Newcastle versus Man United highlight. So this was a reenactment of two weekends ago of the, uh, this was the, uh, it, was a, it was FA final. No, what was this? The Carabao it was, Cup um, final. The Carabao Cup final. Yeah. Where man, you won that game. What was the final score on that? Was it three one? I think that was a two nothing game. For, two for, nothing as well. Yeah. Two red cards. Fulham Fulham went down to nine men, and then Man United pretty much capitalized and 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 put that one to bed. Um, 
but this game was the reverse fixture. Uh, last game was at Wembley, obviously, so there was no home team. But this one was away for Man U. This was at Newcastle Stadium. Uh, so the Magpies just looked like a, a phenomenal team out there. But the, the game in, in general was very entertaining. It was almost like a college basketball game going back and forth. When one team had a break, the other one recovered, then they had a break. It was very back and forth the entire time. And when you have a lot of attacking players, as in Isaac, you have um, – uh, Bruno Grimish, uh, you have uh, Sir Maximan. I mean, Newcastle's up front attacking players were firing on all cylinders, and so were Manchester United's. I think Rashford was a little disappointing. He's been having a little bit of an interlull as of late, uh, but, you know, you got to give the man a break. He can't be on 100% of the time. But He's in general, it was – he was, yep. Yeah. You got you got so, an international dirty uh, international duty. Wow, that was a that was a fumble fuck. Um, <laughs> but I, I I think you're giving Man United a little bit credit, a little bit too much credit in this game. The only reason I say that is because they didn't have a shot on goal until hmm. well they only had one, but they didn't have a shot period until the 55th minute. Newcastle easily could have won this game four five nothing in my hmm. opinion. I don't know. I thought Willick mm-hmm. had a couple of really big chances in the first half. Um, he did yep. end up breaking through to to take the lead, but it's the first time that Newcastle's beaten uh, Man United in the Premier League since October of 2019. They had four losses and two draws in that span, but they bossed it this game. They deserve yeah. to be ahead of United in the table. Um, the the loss or the lack of Casemiro in midfield is obviously a big evident big miss. again. Evident, yeah, yeah, and it, I mean, listen, man, I, I think United obviously has some really. Sh- has great players. Rashford is a great player. Casemiro is a great player. You know, the center backs are strong, but it's not a good squad really. When you, you know, it's very thin when you think about it, you know, mm-hmm. when you have Wout Veghorst up top, when mm-hmm. you're relying on Scott McTominay to give you big, important minutes. And I, I mean, again, they just got completely overrun in the midfield and this is kind of a trend for them on the road. They've been horrible this season, Yeah, especially against the top half of the league. So they got blown out by Liverpool Seven nothing. They lost six. Was it six three when they played at the Eddie Had earlier in the year? They got blown mm-hmm. out by Brentford to start the season away. Lost to Arsenal on that Niketia winner. Uh, lost to Villa two nothing, and now you know dominated by Newcastle away. Um, and and now they're not only are they not in third anymore. They're actually after even with the Spurs draw today. Spurs is ahead of they're them in the table because their goal differential is shite. I think they're like I think they're yeah. plus four or something like that. So. You know, obviously they'll they'll probably stabilize when Casemiro comes back, but they're still in the Europa League. They're still in the FA Cup, and this is a, conge- a congested top four race. The squad is not that deep to to sustain you know the rest of the year. I mean, either they they get knocked out in the FA Cup or the Europa League, or or you know there's the potential that they don't finish in the top four. Um, as crazy as that is to say, everyone's been talking about them like how great of a season they've had. They look extremely fragile without Casemiro. If he gets, yep. you know, another red card, if he gets, you know, injured and he misses a couple of games, they don't look that good of a team to me without him. Just my opinion. No, I know I'm biased because I, I don't like I, them. <laughs> no, I agree with you, and I'm biased, and I don't like him either. But I think you're right. I mean, if you look at just away team form right now on, on teams who would be sitting where they are just on away games, right. you have Man United sitting in fifth just based off of their away record. They have 14 matches played away. They have six wins, two draws, and six losses. 
which obviously just based off of quick maths, you can determine that out of the top five teams, that's the most losses out of all of them. They also have, and here's, here's the big one for me. They have a goal differential of minus 12 in a way. I mean, that as if you're a top five team, you cannot have any form of negative goal differential in the top, in the top five. Right. You have just, just based off of away matches, you have Arsenal's in the lead with plus 19. You have Man City with plus 12. You have Newcastle with plus eight, who we have said has struggled uh, scoring goals, but their defense is so tight that, you know, it, it doesn't matter to them at that point. And then mm-hmm. you have Tottenham at, at almost even. They're at minus one. And that's with two additional games. So you look at Man United's waveform and you say that's their that's their killer right there. It's their mm-hmm. waveform. Yeah, at Old Trafford, they can get the job done as they have uh, because they currently have. And I'll hit this little button real quick. They're, they bump up one spot. They're in fourth place when you just look at home wins. And that's with nine wins, three draws, and only one loss. Yeah. So you can you can definitely you pin this in the season for Man United is if they perform better away, it, it's a different story. The other thing I just want to mention is um, Brighton is just behind them in the away table and that they've played two less games on the road. So mm-hmm. realistically, they're probably like the sixth best team uh, away team this year. Um, and it's just not going to get it done if you, if you want to finish top four. Obviously, those you got Tottenham, you know, nipping at their heels. Obviously, not a good result for them today. But you know, Tottenham as capable of beating anyone as we've seen throughout the year. You know, they've they've taken points off of you know some of the bigger teams in the league. So it'll be interesting to see what you know how Man United you know copes. Obviously, Casemiro coming back next game will be huge for them, but. Um, no guarantee anymore that they're going to be top four. And, you know, if you said that a month ago, people would have looked at you like you had two heads. Yeah, I mean, like people were saying that, that you know, they were going to finish higher than Arsenal, that they were going to possibly, I, they had a title of contention. I think that was just Gary Neville, and I think we can all agree he is a wanker. Uh, <laughs> well, let's, yeah, I'm, wait, I'm, I'm waiting for a, a compilation of his quote saying, I still think City will get it done week in and week out and week in and week out. So I'm, I'm not saying anything yet, but I hope just for that alone uh, that doesn't occur. But uh, obviously I have some other uh, incentives behind that as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Man U, they got a tough one coming up on Wednesday against Brentford, who the bees are always buzzing. It always feels like they're, they're, they can surprise us at any moment. So that's a big game this week at 3 o'clock. Um, that kind of brings us to the end of the wrap-up here. Unless, Sean, you, did you want to talk or shout-out to anyone? I I would give Arsenal a quick recap, but I think everyone kind of expected them to do what they did this weekend. Great, great outing from the boys. They have eight goals in two games, which is which is extremely incredible. Um, even though they were playing at Crystal Palace and Leeds, and Leeds didn't even put out like a real starting XI. But still, to to be coming into the final run and putting up two the most goals that you've scored your whole season in two back to back games is is massive. Uh, Gabriel Jesus came back. He put two in the back of the net. One was a penalty kick at the beginning to start it off, and the other was a nice little tap-in. A great run between him and the winter signing of the season, uh, Leandro Trossard. Uh, so it's really starting to fire on all cylinders for this team, and if they can stay healthy, uh, I'm just excited as day one, if not more. So we'll keep an eye on them as well, and I'm sure I'll have a lot more time and opportunity to speak to them over this weekend uh, when they face off against, uh, they're playing on Saturday. No, they're playing Sunday against, I should know this by heart by now. Don't tell me. Uh, All right, tell me. 
they're playing. Oh yeah, and we talked about that before at Liverpool. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just too excited. It all floods into my mind at one time. But that will be a fun game. That's at Anfield. So we'll talk about that later. And we'll yeah. talk about a few things coming right up. Um, you're good, Sean. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's hit the music. Uh, have a little break, and and we'll be right back. One of our favorite segments here, a bit of a rapid-fire Q&A uh, between your boy Sean and the MC His House, James, right now. So we're going to go back and forth. We're going to do a quick little series of questions. we got four here. i uh, love to hear your guys' opinions afterwards, so please let us know where your takes are on all this stuff afterwards. But we'll get the party started here on our own. And we kind of talked about it briefly already, but Sean, who would you like to see at Spurs running the show? Um, let's say that... Uh, they don't make a full hiring, and at the beginning of next season, right right after this season, essentially, you give them a whole preseason. Who do, who do you want running that show? Um, I have two two potential names. One of them's a hot take. I think Graham Potter actually makes sense at Tottenham. Believe it or not, I know that's not mm-hmm. going to be very popular. I think, just like I said, though, the long term build, um, the attacking football. I think he makes a sense. But I think the guy that they should target is Thomas Frank from Brentford. I think he would fit in really well. Obviously, he coaches in London, and he's, you know, done a very good job at Brentford. They got they've only been promoted a couple seasons ago, and again, play very uh, free flowing attacking football, which is more of the way Tottenham fans are accustomed to playing. Um, so that's where I would go. What about you? Who do you think? Uh, you know, you saying Graham Potter, I didn't even think about that, and I think that's actually a great point, and maybe even a even a better pick than the one I was going to say. And, and I, I'm between two guys. I'm between Vincent Company, uh, who's currently dominating the scene in the championship. Um, I think he comes in with English Premier League experience of being one of the greatest uh, Man City players out there. Uh, I think he can assert some real dominance into possibly a team that needs some structure, that needs maybe an Eric Ten Hag approach, that I'm I'm the guy, you know, everyone answers to me. And I I think just looking at the bald head of Vincent Company will company will would, would send a shiver down even Harry Kane's spine. Uh, not only because Harry Kane I think played against him in his time, but also because he's just he's just a, a behemoth of a man. So I think Vincent Company with what company with what he's been doing at, at Burnley uh, right now is very impressive, and I think that could transfer very well into a, a, a rebuild for Spurs. But I don't I don't dislike your Graham Potter take by any means the only other one that i was thinking about that as the week's gone on i've kind of shied away of it was uh luis enrique um he if everyone knows me is world class um he just finished off his uh time with was it spain right with spain where he he took a a young spanish team uh deeper into the tournament than i think a lot of people thought they were going to get into um and you know he just has a lot of history uh, he has trophies, something that Spurs do not. So I think there could be a lot of guidance there. But I, I would, I would stick with Vincent or even your your Grand Potter now. Yeah. Okay. That. Uh, uh, that mm-hmm, go ahead. Yeah. So we'll move on to the next one. The three inductees for the Premier League Hall of Fame. Who are you leaning towards? I mean, obviously, I have a I have a hunch who one of your picks is going to be. But who do you think is deserving? I mean, uh, we we mentioned obviously a few of the big names that are up for it. 
before. I'm I'm thinking this one's just purely based off of my current FIFA Ultimate team, and that <laughs> that is Vidic. Uh, he is a, a, an absolute wall in the back. He has been. He is well known as a as a Man United legend. Um, he was there. I don't know how much how long ago that was for him. What his title contentions were and and all that fun jazz. But I do know. That they do have that on the the Premier League Instagram, which I could easily just stroll. I think scroll. he's got he's got five total uh, titles with yeah, and then were those and, all and, underneath and the Champions League? Yeah, so I mean, he he just the trophy cabinet uh, is impressive, and the man stats personally is 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 well well within reach of the the Hall of Fame. I I think without a doubt, I think I don't know if he'll be the second or the third goalkeeper in the Hall of Fame, but Peter Check. I think he is he's without a doubt a Hall of Fame-esque goalkeeper, whether that's this year or in the next coming years. But his time at um, Arsenal, his time at Chelsea, his time at, I think it was mainly Chelsea when he was on in the English Premier League, but a absolutely incredible goalkeeper, the OG brain bucket. I think he was, you know, really exciting to watch, and he has the stats and the and the trophies to to back it up as well. And then my final third one, I was going to side with Kyle because I knew he was going to say I, I would say Yaya Torre. Yeah, okay. another Man City player. But who do you have, Sean? So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna actually go with three different players. Uh, I think all all the guys you mentioned are deserving. Um, the first guy I'm gonna go for is, in my opinion, the best left back to ever play in the Premier League. That's Ashley Cole. Um, three champion, or excuse me, three Premier League titles, one with the Arsenal Invincibles and then mm-hmm. two at Chelsea. He also won a European Cup at Chelsea. Uh, he won seven FA Cups across his times with uh, Arsenal and Chelsea. Again, like I said, the best left back in the history of the Premier League. Um, and then I'm actually going to go with two center backs for my other picks. I'm going to go with Rio Ferdinand, who I would say is the best center back in Premier League history. Um, six Premier League titles, a European Cup, a couple League Cups. He actually broke the record, uh, the transfer, the British transfer record twice, first from a move from West Ham to Leeds, and then from Leeds to Man United. So uh, for me, complete Rolls-Royce defender, um, can do anything on the ball, pacey, strong, great defensively. Um, and then the other pick that I have is John Terry. When you talk about mm-hmm. you know the best leaders in the history of the Premier League, you have to put John Terry in that, in that conversation. Bad guy. Like, very much a bad guy, but uh, on the pitch, <laughs> tremendous player. That's somebody you want on your team every day of the week. Five-time Premier League champion. Um, he won a European Cup at Chelsea. He was in the team of the year four times, and he was also in the FIFA World Pro 11 five times. So, uh, also a player of the year in 04 uh, when I think Chelsea gave up, like, something like 18 goals. Might have been less than that. Uh, just an unbelievable Jesus. defender. So. That would be those would be my three picks, um, but we're gonna stay on the chop the topic of Chelsea. Who do you think is the next manager on the chopping block there? Ooh, to to get up there and and to see how long they can survive. Um, I think it's 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 got to be Julian Nagelsmann. I think that I think he comes in. He has the the ability to. He's already shown his worth at a very high level, high value club number one in the Bundesliga. So he's not a, he's not to shy away from big names or large valued players. 
I think he has, at, although he is young, I think he's 35 years old, he has a lot of time to gain. Uh, but he's only going to grow, essentially, with possibly this team that I think needs a little bit more of a, of a firm hand. And I think that is what Julian Nagelsmann would, would offer them. And I think he's going to come in. He's going to offer a great value there. Um, I don't really see anyone else. Um, maybe Luis Enrique if he doesn't go to Tottenham. But I would see Julian Nagelsmann as, as the main choice there. And yourself? Yeah, yeah I think Nagelsmann's probably the favorite. Uh, I think that's a good pick. I actually think Enrique is a better fit, though. Um, one, this is kind of a dark horse because I just I just heard about this today. Apparently, uh, Real Madrid are looking to actually bring back Zidane. They're not happy with Ancelotti. I think Ancelotti would be a great fit at Chelsea. Um, mm, I think mm-hmm. just going back to what we talked about before, the the kind of the lack of respect for Graham Potter's resume. You know, he had never really won anything before at you know when he was at Brighton. Ancelotti is the complete opposite of that. He's won at every level in every country. He's won Champions Leagues. He's won, um, you know, Italian titles. He's won in 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 Germany. He's you know, one of the most decorated managers of all time. I think he instantly walks into that room and commands respect. I think he's actually a better fit than Nagelsmann just based on that alone. I think Nagelsmann is more forward thinking, but in terms of what Chelsea needs and and dip, typically how the clubs run, I think Ancelotti is the best fit for them. Do you think you think that because he's already coached Chelsea, it would be a benefit or a uh, a hindrance to it? Because unless there's another Ancelotti, he was the coach from 2009 to 2011. He had 109 games there, 67 wins, 20 draws, and 22 losses. And yeah. uh, I mean, I think I, first of all, I think you're right. He's he's got to be one of the greatest managers in the world, even if Real Madrid is not happy with him. Obviously, possibly having a trophyless season for them is a is a major downfall. But I thought I think it would be really. I wasn't even thinking about that because of his previous tenure there. But I think that would be really interesting to see. Hey, let's let's get you guys another chance and see what happens there. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's also he's coached at at Real Madrid before he went back again this mm-hmm. this current tenure and, and again won the Champions League. So. I don't think that you know sways it negatively or positively. Obviously, Todd Bowley's never heard of him because he hasn't heard of any manager until he started <laughs> owning a team nine months ago, or whatever it is. So I don't even think that part of it's relevant. Um, I just think right. you know they're obviously short term. There's not there's not a lot of long term view there. I think he comes in, demands respect. He knows exactly what he wants. He says, "Get me X, Y, and Z," and they they go do it. So that that would be my pick if if you could ha- if you could have anybody. Um, but Enrique makes a lot of sense to me too. You know who, you know, if he was still available, who I think would make a great choice for Chelsea? I know this is going. You know who it's going to be? It's going to be, it would be Thomas Tuchel. I knew, I knew where that one was going. That was a layup. So it kind of lays right up into our final question here, and it's Chelsea-related, and it's Thomas Tuchel-related. What, Sean, was the bigger mistake for Chelsea? Firing Thomas Tuchel or replacing Thomas Tuchel with Grant Potter? I think it was replacing him with Graham Potter. And again, I rate Graham Potter as a manager. It's just when you go from Tuchel, who's one of the biggest names, commands a lot of respect. He's won it. He's won in Germany, and you know he's been you know a top class manager for a long time. When you go and replace him with someone who's never won anything, it it really put Graham Potter in a really disadvantageous position. And I think that um, that was the bigger mistake. I think they could have gotten after maybe Zidane or somebody you know another big name coach. I just don't mm-hmm. think that. Potter really ever felt like a Chelsea manager to me. He just doesn't have the bravado, the you know, the aura that you're looking for. What do you agree? Agreed. 
I know there was like some history and, and some behind the scenes going on that kind of also helped, uh, you know, move on from Thomas Tuchel. But if you were to put that aside um, and and Bowley and him were able to break bread, I think the bigger mistake was firing Thomas Tuchel. And we talked about it before, but in football, in European football, the the serial killer idea of coaches and managers and their tenures there is is obvious and we spoke about it very briefly but over 13 managers just this season have been sacked you can roster a team plus two subs with the coaches that have been sacked this season you could create a starting uh, starting 11 it's it's insane and one of the biggest turnover rates in world sports and just for everyone who's here in the states something that i looked at was a study from 2019 but like I said before, there are 13 sackings in the EPL this season. The average NBA coach expectancy life is 2.4 seasons. This is all based off 2019 stats, so we're probably a little bit behind here. But, you know, an NBA coach is expected to, to be turned over every 2.4 season. NHL is 2.6. MLB is 3.1. And NFL is 3.4. Chelsea have gone through 11 coaches in the past 10 seasons, and we'll have three different names as our coach in this season alone. So it just goes to show how insane this is. And the, the crazy part is, if you get hired and then you get sacked, you're still getting motherfucking paid. Like, right. unless you do something that completely breaches contract, you're still getting paid. Like right now, Julian Nagelsmann is still on contract with Bayern Munich. He's still getting paid. Yeah, he's not the coach anymore. He's sacked. They're bringing someone in, but he's still getting paid. It's it's just the the risk that you're taking hiring these coaches as quickly as you as you are and why their contracts are typically not as long as player contracts. Like a five-year contract is not very common for coaches anymore. It's two, three years, right? So I, I think that getting back to the initial question, I think if you were to smooth things over with Thomas Tuchel, I think he would have been a great fit for Chelsea especially since he, out of those 11 coaches over the past 10 years, he's won the biggest and the, the most things with them. I mean, he took them to the Champions League. He won it, and he's finished top four every time he was there. He won, I have it here, he won He won the Champions League. He won the FA Cup. He was the runner-up of the FA Cup. He finished third in the 2021-22 season. He won the UEFA Super Cup. He won the FIFA Club World Cup. And arguably, none of that matters besides the Champions League. And you, and you, you dish him, you get rid of him after two seasons, it doesn't make any sense to me. Especially yeah. if you're going to just spend money anyway. It doesn't make any sense. But we'll, we'll yeah. hear back. We'll, we'll have a couple people who are more of Chelsea fans come on the show later on in the upcoming weeks. And I'll be very curious to see what they have to say about this stuff too. But... That's yeah, a little bit of a Q&A for us here. Um, I don't have anything else to add to our Q&A unless you do, Sean. No, let's let's go take a look at the uh, the look ahead. You know, it's a, yeah. a double double fixture this week, couple a uh, couple of big matches across the next couple of days. Obviously, the biggest one uh, tomorrow is Chelsea Liverpool. Uh, El Sakiko was what it was being dubbed earlier in the week, but unfortunately, <laughs> Potter already got the sack and. Liverpool's owners came out and basically said Klopp's, you know, Klopp's here to stay. So, yeah. uh, but that's a big one, obviously. That one will be at Stamford Bridge. Those teams always play each other tight, and it'll be interesting to see how Chelsea looks after, you know, the turnover of their manager. Um, but what game are you keeping your eye on, you know, across this week? Across this week, uh, it's, there's a lot of good ones. Um, I would say that the 
Uh, Chelsea, Liverpool that you just mentioned. I would say Man U, Brentford I mentioned before. I think this could be a very big make-or-break top four finish game for Man United. I think if they lose this game, uh, they don't finish top four. I think if they win this game, they finish top four. And that's just a hot take. I think ultimately if you were to go down the, the remainder of their season, I think Man U has a better chance of finishing top four than Spurs. Um, but I think if they don't beat Brentford, it could send this team into a bit of a spiral. Um, especially since that one is home. Uh, so if they don't win that one out of Old Trafford, that would be a difficult one. I would also say that, you know, as as interesting or not interesting as it sounds, I think Chelsea Wolves on Saturday would be kind of interesting just because if Chelsea doesn't turn it around and put three in the back of the net and show a little bit of progress after a, a Thomas Tuchel sacking I, I just think it'd be funny to watch that downfall downfall a little bit more and then um obviously my my big one is sunday's game at 11 30 that's at ainfield that's liverpool versus arsenal i think this is this is i think even gary neville came out and said that if arsenal can win at ainfield um i think he would highly consider that it, it could be arsenal's title for the rest of the season agreed i think um obviously Arsenal is a much better team than Liverpool this year. I don't think, you know, you're not going to get any argument from me on that. Sorry, you broke up on me. You broke up on me on a little bit on that one. Could yeah, you say go that fuck again, yourself. Sean? I'm not repeating that one. Um, but Good thing we I have mean, it recorded. The, Ooh. The, the only thing I'll say, though, is obviously Anfield is not an easy place to go get a win. Uh, not Liverpool's at all. Liverpool's 14th in the away fixtures um, in the, the away table that we referenced before, but they are – fourth in uh in home home results so they've obviously been a, a difficult team to you know Anfield's always a difficult place to go I still think though unfortunately that Arsenal is actually going to win this game and uh you guys have made me a believer that and uh Pep being a complete knobhead over the weekend you know celebrating <laughs> in front of our players sticking his hands out now yeah. I really even even as much as I want to see you miserable I really would would like to see Arsenal win and and Pep you know, picking at whatever less, the, you know, whatever follicles he has left his on little the top nubs. of his head. But you, you've think, seen me uh, upset for so long. It would be so nice just to see the other way around. I would say the only two things that I want to point out um, about this game, obviously the the fullbacks against Arsenal's wingers is going to be um, kind of a mismatch, honestly, unless Liverpool makes some changes. Ideally, Diaz and Thiago will be fit for this game. They're in training now. Mm-hmm. They're not going to play tomorrow. So there's... Um, probably bench appearances for them, but them getting them back and then Nunez as well would, would be nice. Um, the, the, the two players I want to make mention of just because of their historical success against Arsenal, I don't even know if they'll play. Oh, no, but I don't want to hear him anymore. Diogo Jata boasts six goals from his eight appearances against Arsenal, and Bobby Firmino has nine and 14 against Arsenal, not to mention he also has a hat-trick of assists. The question yeah. I have for you about this game, and we can kind of you know wrap it up after this, but... Who is your front three for this game? Because you, now so you have tough. five great That's so tough. options. Yeah, yeah. I, I I really, I really liked what Arteta did this weekend. I think Saka deserved a bit of a break. He just came off of international break. You can't. It's, it's we said it two weeks ago. I have the hardest problem to have right now, and it's the best problem to have right now it, to start. Oh, I mean that's so difficult. Obviously, Saka starts on the right side. I think. You have to start Trussard on the left. I think he 
he edges out Martinelli, not because Martinelli is not good. I think Trussard is a large reason why Martinelli is performing very well. So I think you kind of have to have those two on the pitch at the same time if you want to have Martinelli out on the left side. Uh, Martinelli's in incredible form right now. So I, I'm just glad I'm not Mikel Arteta because this has got to be one of the hardest decisions out there right now. In other words, the only other alternative, I think what I would like to see, and, and no knock on Jesus at all because he's he's a chaos creator and he's fantastic, but it's just hard to, to justify you coming in. He came in because Saka needed a break. So I think you go back Saka on the right, Martinelli on the left, and you do the false nine that is um, Leandro Chassard, and they have a rotation up top, and you sub – you sub uh, Jesus in for Trossard later on in the match, but yeah. uh, I think I think that's ultimately what you stay for or you start with. Um, I think I'm really hoping Saliba is back for the week, and it does not sound very promising. He's had his back issue for now two matches, and Holdini has been doing a really good job back there in center back. But I think if if Holding is staying at the center back, I think we could see this game go over four goals. I think we see a, a bit of a slugfest on this one. And I, I would say maybe Arsenal takes it three to two. Wow. Okay. I, th- I think it's going to be a draw um, just because it's hard to win at Anfield. But mm-hmm. I, I, I think Arsenal is obviously the team that's in better form and they're playing a lot better. But, yeah, uh, the key point for Arsenal in winning this game is is Rob holding Dino, as my cousin Brian would mm-hmm. say. So it'll be interesting to see you know how he performs in this match. Uh, going up against you know Nunez and then obviously uh, Salah as well. I agree. I think it, if Holding can perform well like he has the past two games, it would have been great to see him keep a clean sheet against Crystal Palace and then against Leeds over the weekend. But I think if if he's able to hold it down there with with Gabriel, and uh, I, I think we can walk away with this, and hopefully eventually walk away with the title. Um, but it will be a fight for the rest of the season. But we are in the final running. And uh, we are in our last, we're in single digits now. Uh, so I think everyone is pretty pumped up to see where this will take us if we're going to have a, a championship Sunday uh, for, the, for the history again. Uh, but other, other than that, I think we have a lot of exciting games from, from now till then to, to watch and to really figure out where this is going. Not only the one at Ainfield this weekend, which you and I will obviously uh, go back and forth about a lot over, but uh, April 26th. I'll say it again, and I'll say it until the end of the season, and I'll say it next time, next week when Kyle's here. But that is the Man City Arsenal game at the Etihad, and I think that could be that that could be the point in the season that we need to absolutely walk away with at least a tie. With this being said, I think it's time for us to walk away for the evening. Uh, as always, myself, Sean, and Kyle, when he's on the line here, appreciates everyone's time, efforts, and listen. Uh, we'll post some more things throughout the week as we go throughout. And uh, I hopefully you guys enjoyed this week's rendition of EPL State of Mind. And until next week, we say thank you and enjoy the rest of your evening.